the last thing that um, my son said to me this morning by via text is uh, do I have any way of recording the message today and you could just tell by my hesitation fiddling with this up there so actually Jerry we have we have three we have a redundancy issue this morning so we got we got I got my phone I got a digital recorder neither of which I know how to use <laughs> But Jerry is my backup back there, so we are recording it. So Lord willing, uh, we'll be successful in that area, and it will be available uh, on the website and so on later this week if we can figure out one of those means of, uh, of technology. Okay, um, Ephesians chapter 4, turn with me there in your Bibles, please. And I want to talk with you this morning about our winning strategy. Our winning strategy. Uh, in Ephesians 4... Part of our series on the book of Ephesians, uh, Lifestyles of the Rich and Godly, we're definitely in the lifestyle section of the book. This is an incredibly practical series, and I think what the Apostle Paul is writing to the believers in Ephesus about is about uh, winning, about playing your part in what God is doing and doing, uh, doing it for the prize, which in this case is eternity in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so my illustration about this winning strategy shows the team lifting the cup. And you understand that, right? We all know enough about sports to understand that analogy, that the team is involved, but so is the individual as a part of that team. I mean, this is not track or this is not some of the Olympic sports where it's just you. We are a part of a community. And Ephesians 4 talks about the church. It talks about unity. And it talks about being a part of the community of what God is doing in the world today. And so we're going um, to talk about that more today in these verses, which are verses 25 through 32. Um, I am not a, uh, this is always the uh, caveat, right? I'm not a joke teller, but do you remember the old good news, bad news jokes? Here's the one I remember. Uh, a guy fell out of an airplane and is... He's, he's, telling, uh, he's telling his buddy that story. Guy fell out of the airplane, so his buddy says, oh, that's bad. The guy says, no, that's good. He had a parachute. And so his buddy says, oh, that's good. And the guy says, no, that's bad. His parachute didn't open. And he says, well, that's bad. He says, no, that's good because there was a, a hay mow, uh right below him. He says, oh, that's good. He says, no, that's bad. He missed the hay. And he says, oh, that is bad. And he says, no, that's good. There was a pitchfork in the hay. He says, oh, that's good. He says, no, that's bad. He missed the pitchfork, too. He missed the hay, too. So I told you I'd mess it up. Good news, bad news, right? And this is a story. Uh, this is a, um, an account in Scripture where there are negative things, but there also are incredibly positive things that the Apostle Paul, by inspiration of God, wants us to understand. There's good news and bad news here. Now, before we get started and look at this passage, I want to make it clear um, with a big smile on my face because you know me, all right? My, uh, it is not my job in this passage or even next week in Ephesians chapter 5 to be the convicting agent in anybody's life. Friends, I am not the Holy Spirit. You understand that, right? That is not my job. And uh, it is not Mel's words today that is going to have an impact on, on your life at all. Please, please understand me. It is not that. It's the Holy Spirit using the Word of God because there are some things that I think that this passage teaches us that we ought to deal with individually because they impact the body. This passage talks about that. And so honestly, as I was getting ready for this yesterday... <laughs> As I was getting ready for this, and I found out Todd wouldn't be here today. God has used this passage in my life, and I want that to be true, that God uses His Word. Please, 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 please hear me. It is not Mel, it is not that, it's this passage, because there are some things. Now, in saying that, um, this passage is incredibly practical. And I think as we look at this, there's going to be some things that, that friends, that hit us right between the eyes. And uh, again, I want the Holy Spirit of God, the Word of God, to be the convicting agent in our life, knowing that there's always help and there's always hope with God, right? Always. And that God can help us with that. God has given us a solution. And this 
passage talks about that. So if you have your Bibles, I'm preaching from the New King James, but here it is on the slide. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Let me read verses 32 or 25 through 32. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read starting at verse 25 down through verse 32. Ephesians 4, 25 down through verse 32. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Actually, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Verse 28, but or let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Do not grieve and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. That's our passage. We're going to talk about some things. You have the notes there um, in your green bulletin today. Get those handy, pen or pencil, in your Bibles, and we're going to do that. Before we do, let's just pray. We'll ask God's blessing in our Bible study. Father, I thank you for your word. The book of Ephesians is incredibly practical, incredibly important for us as individuals, for us as a church. And God, I just pray now as we look at this, this one paragraph, if you will, and God, I just pray that you'd open our hearts to what you have for us. And God, I pray that we, might be, that we might be receptive in our hearts to what you have for us. God, please use your word in our hearts and our lives. Again, help us to be open to what you want to do for your glory for eternity in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's, let's work through this passage a little bit. As we get started by, I say this probably every single time that I use, power, by use PowerPoint, by the magic of Microsoft, I want to highlight a couple of things as we get started. Number one, uh, yeah, number one is that phrase there in verse 25 where it says, for we are members one of another. I think it's important for us to understand, and I put that in your notes, there's a little bit of a chart, right? And we're going to get to there in just a minute, the put off, put on section of this passage. But then at the bottom, there's some questions that came in my mind. And so I just listed those at the bottom. And, and here's the first one. This phrase, members of one another. The idea here is that we are a part of a whole. What happened, folks, to the PowerPoint? Are we okay with that or... Anyway, that we are part of a whole. And I, I put that there on your notes there, that uh, the idea about that is that what we do affects others. And chapter 4 of Ephesians really goes into that. And, and Pastor Todd has talked about this. And, and a few months ago, when we were doing our series on the church, we talked about that as well, about Ephesians 4 and the important teaching in uh, Ephesians 4 about the church. And, and here's the idea, is that each one of us have spiritual gifts that are given to us by God to be involved in God's work in helping other people. Remember, I, I emphasize this over and over again, to grow spiritually, that all of us, in a sense, are ministers, that we're a part. Read uh, like verses 11 through 16 of this chapter, that we're a part of the church, we're a part of what God's doing. God never intended his church to be a spectator sport. He never did. That he, he intended his church for it to be involved, that all of us, his members, to be involved. So we are a part of the big picture of what God's doing, and how we live impacts the body. So that's an important thing to note about this passage, and that one member, again, going back to the analogy that Paul uses here in this same chapter, is that one member, if you will, can affect the entire body. <coughs> The, the classic 
illustration in our family is uh, Todd with his back this week, right? If you've ever had an injury like that, it's just one thing. I mean, it might be a disc, it might be a muscle. I mean, I'm not a surgeon or whatever. It might, but it it it, it impacts everything, right? It impacts everyone, and that's the analogy. The the members. That, that Paul uses in this passage of the body, of the big picture of the body of Christ. And so this passage, I, I think here's the point of this to get started. This, po- this passage is, uh, folks, is incredibly personal. But it's in the context of the big picture of what God is doing in the church. And so here's the point in that each one of us are involved. The winning strategy in the team but what we do affects the team, too. Does that make sense to get started? The second thing that I want to highlight is the members that were a part of the whole. Is the word therefore? Pastor Todd told us a few weeks ago, and I know you know this. This is an old cliche. Whenever you see the word therefore, check and see what it's there for. Right? And the word therefore, and there's several times. In fact, I think it's true. In the book of Ephesians, there are some of the longest sentences in the entire Bible in the book of Ephesians. And there are some run-on sentences in English that, uh, that we kind of have to figure out, okay, what, what, is, what is the author talking about here? And so the idea here is the word therefore, what is it therefore? It means sense or because of, right? What he just talked about. So I know you were here last week, and I wasn't here last week, but I listened to the message online. So let's go back a little bit to the preceding verses just to illustrate, or just to set the context for what we're doing. In Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, we're just going to go back there. It says this, put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, the old person. It's not intended to be masculine pronouns at all. It's not that which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man, the new person, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And so this, and and I've talked with you about this before, there is a, I think, incredibly practical principle that is found in verses 22, 23, and 24, which I'm going to call the principle of replacement. Notice that the words that I highlighted on the PowerPoint slide. Put off and put on. If you've been here for a while, you understand probably the only time I ever wear a jacket is if I talk to you about this principle. Put off, put on. I mean, I'm trying, what I'm trying my best is to never wear sport coats ever again in my life. But I wore a sport coat today. To illustrate this point, the word there literally means take something off to be intentional. And I'm not going to because I'm wired for sound and all of that. But that's the point is to be intentional, to do something about that. So, folks, I want you to understand as we look at this, the therefore in our passage is referring back to the principle of replacement. Put off, put on, be intentional about this. If God does bring something into our life that convicts us, then folks, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power that we have in the Word of God, God can help us. And God will help us. It's in His strength. That's a key teaching in the book of of, of Ephesians. It is, in the whole Bible. But we have to be intentional about the strategy, the winning strategy. So the put off, put on is something that we do. And there's lots of times in the Bible. One other thing, which I didn't highlight, Notice the word that's embedded into that paragraph. The word corrupt. The word corrupt there means spoiled. It's the exact same word in that culture. Forgive me, but it was used for rotten fruit or rotten vegetables. So the point as we get started in this is that if we don't take care of the things in our lives, and again, I think you're going to find out that there are some incredibly practical things in in, in this passage, that it ends up causing that decay in our life, and it becomes something that hurts us for what we want to do and for what God wants us to do. It does. It, It ends up being that corrupt, that decay, that rotten fruit, which you know, ultimately starts to smell and be, we don't want it anymore. And that's, 
that's pretty that's a pretty good analogy here so let's go back to the therefore back to our passage which are verses 25 through 32 and then I, I want you to notice and here's the chart part of your notes that there are five things in this passage and we're going to do this quickly but there are five things that the Apostle Paul says put off and put on I'm going to give them to you in the chart so you don't but in, there are five things there are five sentences there are five truths put off put on in this passage that I think all of them are um, incredibly uh, incredibly practical I really do and so as we go through this um, again I, I want us to understand that this is something that that God says that God is doing it is it is not my it is not my job in fact I will tell you that a lot of these things were very very convicting to me this week because I think here's the thing that all five of these things can end up being habitual problems in our lives they they can that talks about that and I think all five of these things can become problems in the church problems that hurt the entire body Todd's bad back illustration one thing ends up causing the whole body to suffer and this passage chapter 4 of Ephesians talks about that so what we're going to do is we're going to go through this chart and I'm going to talk with you a little bit about the principle of replacement and again we're going to do this quickly but in this passage uh, again I think incredibly practical things that could be habitual problems habitual sins and things that could end up hurting us and hurting the church so number one is this look at verse 25 it says therefore putting away lying okay there are some translations probably some of you have those here that the idea here of that word means any falsehood any falsehood so really it's a word that speaks of a of a lack of integrity things like okay lying on income tax uh, making excuses cheating exaggeration I've told you a million times don't exaggerate right or flattery uh, Peggy's not here she's with the children but honey you look great today well maybe there's an excuse for that one right just just kidding she's not she's not here um, back with the kids but yeah they lying that any falsehood in our lives um, That doesn't necessarily mean saying all you know, right? There's a principle in Ephesians 4 that uses, Ephesians 4, we've talked about it already, that one of the key things about church and about preaching or teaching ministry of the church that, that Paul says in this, in this chapter is speaking the truth in love. And I think that's always a good balance for us, right? And this passage is going to talk about some very hard, harsh things. But I think we need to understand that, and Todd has talked with us about that, the, the, the principle that's throughout this book, the principle of love, Christ's love and our love for each other. And so speaking the truth in love and so on. And, and again, I, and that's found in, you know, here in the same chapter in verse 15, speaking the truth in love. And I mentioned this before, but let me just highlight it again, that all five of these things are things that can unless we're careful, can turn into habitual problems in our lives, right? Do you, ever, do you ever know a pathological liar? I mean, that's a term, but just somebody that, uh, it's almost like can't tell the truth. And I think there are times in life where God has to uh, hit us right between the eyes about this thing, and the first one is that, uh, is lying. God wants us to tell the truth, to be people that are honest, that are truth tellers, but always speaking the truth in love okay number two number two in this passage um which is probably uh easily misunderstood to be honest with you about this passage but it's something that this is one of those phrases that we tend to grab out of context perhaps <coughs> but the second practical thing put off put on all right intentionally put off is anger lying Anger is one of those things that can become the thing that Satan uses 
And we'll talk about this more in just a minute. Don't forget that this passage, I read it to you aloud. This passage is a passage that says, don't give place to the devil. All right? This is one of those things where Satan can get a foothold in our lives. And it's very easy. Peggy tells me um, that there's, there, there's only two kinds of people in the world. Right? He, she says, so she's not here again. I'm talking about her. I told her I would. But she says there are two kinds of people. There are people who have headaches, and there are people who give headaches. <laughs> there are people who have high blood pressure, and there are people who give high blood pressure, right? Well, here's one. Here's one about this. There are people who get mad. And then there's liars. <laughs> people who say they don't get mad, but maybe the anger is, is inside. Probably this is something, my point here is that this is something probably like the honesty thing that in one way or another, we all deal with. A couple weeks ago, I was telling, I've told you a lot about my family and about my parents and about my, my dad. And uh, my dad, in most cases, was this meek, mild, gracious, fun-loving guy. But he, for a lot of years, until God gave him victory, was the kind of guy that was dominated by his temper. If, his, if he got mad and you never knew, right? Do you ever know somebody with a terrible temper, right? And you never knew what, what set him off. You never knew. I mean, it could be easy going, and then all of a sudden, boom! You know, it's like, it's like that. Or a kid with a temper, or... I mean, there's a, there's a million illustrations about that. And so here's the thing, you know, that thing about there's two kinds of people. There's people who get mad and people who lie. Uh, I think this is one of those that we tend, folks, that we tend to excuse. And we say, well, that's just the way I am you're gonna to have to deal with it. And it's one of those things that this passage, and we'll talk more about this later on, it's one of those passages that talk about how what we do can hurt others. Remember the members, remember the members one of another. The, um, the anger in this passage. Yeah, um, we, uh, um, we tend to excuse the anger thing, right? I mean, we've all grown up, I'm kind of looking around, we've all grown up with stories like Incredible Hulk, you know, the, he turns green and his muscles get big and, you know, he anger, or now we're, it's all fun, right? Fun again, angry birds. Or there's a guy in the bottom, the guy that was, Dan, no offense, that's a Philadelphia Phillies fan. There's a whole video about that guy just going nuts. I mean, we just a anger, just, ang you know, anger that rules the day. Um, not that I'm, picking on anybody but I realize that this is one of those that in this passage like I said before in this passage God talks about anger a lot and it says there you know be angry and I, I mentioned as I was reading the passage that is not uh, a command to be angry that's the passage maybe should be better translated in your anger um, do not sin. And then it clearly a very practical passage. Don't let the sun go down in your wrath. And then drop down a few verses. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away. So, um, let me talk to you about anger a little bit. And don't get mad at me for doing this. Anger, mad, get it? Sorry. Okay. But the, I, I gave you some verses. Don't, yeah. There's like two people that humored me on that one. <laughs> okay? But I, I gave you some verses. So let me quickly talk with you about some of the things that the Bible talks about because this is one that we excuse. All right? Anger. We do. Let me just talk with you a little bit about that. In the Bible, there are basically two kinds of anger. In the Bible. There are several words. When we get to the bottom, there are several of those words, that I, the English word that I highlighted for you. But in the, in the New Testament, there is the one kind of anger which I quoted there. It's, it's from a commentary actually by John MacArthur who says this, that, that there's one kind of anger which is the momentary outward boiling over rage. Something happens, right? Road rage or whatever that happens. And in the spur of the moment, we get, we get mad and explode. That boiling over, you know, illustration. Or then there's the wrath, the deep-seated 
determined and settled anger. That's the word that's used here, about in your anger. And I think here the idea is more to be purposeful even, even about that. So here's number two. If we are following Christ, look at Ephesians 5, the very next verse, verse 1. Therefore, because of what I just said, be imitators of God as dear children. Okay? So God isn't going to, right? By the very nature of God, what we know about the attributes of God, God, the, the, Holy, the, the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, and God the Father are not going to explode in anger, right? That is not the nature of God. And so if we imitate God, he, God is not telling us that it's okay to be angry. He's not telling us that. And so there can be, however, I think in the Bible, a righteous anger. Now here's that thing, and I'm going to smile real big because, again, I'm not the Holy Spirit, and it's not my words. I mean, I, I want the Bible to be the one that convicts us of things like lying or anger, or the evil speaking or things like that that we're going to talk about in, in, just, in just a minute. But um, I think it is possible uh, to have a righteous anger. But I also think that we're going to have to look deep into our hearts and say, is that really what we do? Uh, I've just given you a few. The Bible actually talks a lot about anger and losing our temper. And again, down at the bottom, bitterness, rage, resentment, fury, clamor, wrath. It talks, it talks a lot about those words. And so if that is something that we struggle with, I want you to know, folks, that, that God can help us with that. But I do think that there is a righteous anger, which is to be legitimately, and we're going to have to evaluate that to look deep, using the, the mirror of the Word of God to look deep into our hearts to say, is that really what we do? Which, which means to be legitimately angry at sin. The, the classic illustration is, well, Christ got mad, you know, in the temple and overturned the money changers. You know that story, right? But you got to realize that he didn't go in. He talks about how he sat down, he made the whip and all of those kinds of things. It wasn't this boiling over anger. It wasn't that, that there was a legitimate conviction of being angry at sin. So I, I do think it's important for us to understand that. So number three then, is that most of the anger that's mentioned in the Bible is sin. And it's something that we need to ask forgiveness about and take it to God. Now, I think it's important to understand, and look with, look with me just for a minute on this one. The last verse in this passage that I read to you, be kind one to another, we'll get to that, tender-hearted, we'll get to that, forgiving one another, which we have a responsibility to do, and then this, even, is, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. So I think here's the point, is that anger, God can help you, but God can forgive. And God can forgive. God has made a way to do that, to shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. It is not something to say, well, just the way I am, I can't get victory over that. Does that make sense? Number four, anger can be controlled by the Holy Spirit. God, this whole passage, this whole book, gives us that balance of, of human responsibility and yet God's activity in our lives. And, and here's one. I put a few verses that are down there. Let me read verses 26 and 27. Be angry. In your anger, do not sin. But then it says this. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. That's a pretty practical piece of instruction, right? If you're mad at somebody, take care of it before you go to bed. Those of us that are married... That ought to be pretty important advice. And don't forget that in Ephesians, in the very next chapter, Paul talks to married couples and talks so that he's, he's talking about that. But in other words, you can take care of this. And don't go to bed mad. Let Take care of it before the sun goes down, right? Is that is there, there can be help. I mean, that's just inferred that's there. Verse 27 says, Neither or nor give place to the devil. Let me highlight something there for a minute. Um, I, actually, I talk to teenagers a lot about that verse. Neither, or, nor give place to the devil. Place, place. That's an interesting word in the New Testament. It's the same word, which almost Christmas time, right? In Luke chapter 2, 
when Joseph and Mary went back to Bethlehem for the birth of Christ, right? And they got, all of us have seen the pictures, right? Joseph and Mary and the donkey. I, I think the artist just put in the donkey. You know, and they go back and they go to the inn, right? And the innkeeper says what? Luke 2. Says what? No room. Same word. That doesn't mean, now we're thinking America, Western culture, we're thinking holiday inns, right? No rooms. That's not the word. No place. It means, sorry, people, there is no place at all for you. And think about that. There's no place at all for the birth of our Lord, the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, I'll go back a few years, or go ahead a few years in the Bible. Paul uses this word, don't give place to the devil, any place at all. It doesn't just mean, you know, like no, no rooms, a place. Don't have any place at all for the devil to get a victory in our lives. And so the idea here is that God can help you with this. Drop down to verse 31. The idea I'm talking with you about is that God, if anger is our problem, then there's help. Okay, verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away. Remember I talked with you about that. I wore a sport coat today. Intentionally take it off. God can't help, and the Holy Spirit can help us with that. And in this passage, it, I, the very last thing on the notes, I talk with you about that. It says, verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed until the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is a person, but a powerful influence in our lives, and God can't help us with that. We'll talk about that more, about the Holy Spirit more in just a minute. Number five, I know you know this. Temper can be motivating and controlling. Verse 27 talks about, again, devil and how the devil can get a place in our lives. It can, it can, it can control our lives. It really can. In Galatians, that passage, I'm not going to take the time to read there. That's one of the verses that is there that I, that I printed out for you in the notes. It talks about how anger or the sin of anger <coughs> is one of the works of the flesh. Galatians 5. In other words, work. You have to do something about that. Which means, again, that anger can be one of those fleshly things that come in our lives and normally because, because we let it go. That corrupt, that rotten fruit illustration. We let it go. And so the idea, God, anger can be, temper can be motivating and controlling. And those of us that have that understand that. And then anger can be used by the devil. I talked with you about that already. And anger can be something that Satan gets a foothold in our lives and keep us from being all that God would have us to be. And then verse 7, or number 7 says, anger. And here are just some of the English words, bitterness, rage, resentment, flurry, clamor, wrath, uh, can lead to other sins. Sometimes in, in your Bible reading, when you come to verses like this one or like Galatians where I talk where there's a list of sins listed by God, often they're a progression. God does that in the Bible, frankly, with sexual sin. This, this, this leads to this, this leads to this. It's a progression. And anger is one of those things that can end up be controlling and motivating. And other people are just going to have to deal with it. We excuse it in our lives and so on. And so um, it's important for us to understand that. And I'm going to get off this point, anger. Um, but just say that is something that we can put off intentionally and put on um, those things in our lives. What he says, um, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, but, um, um, yeah, and, but in order to need to give place to the devil. There's one other verse that I want to highlight, and that's this one in James chapter 1. James is an incredibly practical verse or, or passage Pastor Todd and I have been talking about going through James sometimes, sometime in the near future here at Wyoming Valley Church. But James chapter 1, verse 20 says this, the, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's pretty clear, right? Okay, let's, let's move on. Uh, number three in this progression is stealing or sharing. Stealing or sharing. Another, another 
sinful practice that can lead to an habitual problem in our lives is stealing. Verse 28, let him who steal, let not again, not necessarily masculine pronouns. It is, it is not saying that only men are thieves. It's not saying that, that anyone uh, who does, let him who steal, steal no longer. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may, that they may have something to give him that has the need. This is, this is interesting. Steal, which is originally, the New Testament was originally, the, the original language is Greek. And there is a Greek word that is part of our vocabulary, even in English. A, a rook, it's not like, a, what's that movie, uh, uh, Big Fat Greek Wedding movie, where every, every word has its root Greek, right? Well, here's one, kleptomaniac. Did you ever hear, you ever hear that word? That, that's very much Greek original word, origin, origination word in our language, where, again, it's the idea of, of stealing or having a problem with stealing. Something, again, that can become habitual in our lives. And we talked about integrity already. Um, again, put off, put on, illustration, put intentional. This verse is classic about that. Let him who steal, who stole, steal no longer. And it says this, but rather let him labor sometime. We're not going to do that one today. But there's a lot of things that the Bible teaches about work and about labor and about man's, humans' fulfillment with that. And I think let, rather let him labor, work, we understand, to have to get a job. Working with his hands or their hands, what is good to be involved literally in things that are good and things that are not designed for evil, that he may have something to give him who has needs. I think it's interesting in this passage that the put off, put on, the put off of stealing, of lack of integrity about money or finances or things that we would steal, that the opposite of that, to take to get rid of those in our lives, the opposite of that is to work, work for what is good so that we might be generous. I think there's a great teaching in the Bible about generosity. About, and if you've known somebody who has the gift of giving, how what a blessing that is, that they're just willing to give on themselves. And in this passage, it talks about that that's the, that's the focus of the put on part of it. Number four, this is another one that gets uh, incredibly practical and often hits us right between the eyes. And that's the idea of... Uh, our speech. Um, did you ever hear, probably when you were a kid, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but, come on, words will never hurt me. You're a liar. They do. Words hurt, right? You may be you you may be that person is you know no, you know uh, I don't care what you say I'm not words hurt. Do you ever get hurt by what somebody said about you? We tend to get defensive. We tend to get embarrassed. We tend to get hurt by words. And verse twenty nine is incredibly practical. Uh, let no. I have that underlined in my Bible. Remember I told you a couple times already, I'm not the Holy Spirit, I'm not the Word of God. And even just, just starting on this passage yesterday motivated me. Well, here's one that God used to hit me right between the eyes. You know what no means? No. None. Let no corrupt. Remember, I told you about what that word that corrupt, that rotten fruit word that's there. Corrupt communication. Let word proceed out of your mouth. We are uh, we are so prone to do that, aren't we? Where we justify it. That's another one. Well, that's just the way I am, or that I want you to pray. Don't forget this passage I already talked about lying. But we tend to be critical of other people instead of saying things that are 
wholesome that will help them. The put on part of this, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But instead of that, here's the put on part of it. What is good for necessary edification, a word that means to help, helping words, or to help somebody grow spiritually, that it may give, it may impart, give grace to the hearer. It's interesting, I think, too, that the Bible talks a lot about the tongue, about our words. And uh, this verse is one of those. No corrupt, no rotten words that we say that can really hurt somebody. James 3, for instance, talks a lot about our tongue and how the power of the tongue can hurt other people and not edify or not build up or is not honoring to the Lord. And that we can, by what we say... um, I love the stories in the Bible of Barnabas, Acts 11. Barnabas got to Antioch, and he encouraged them all. I've talked with you about 2 Timothy 1, a guy by the name, and I'm I'm butchering the name, Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus, 2 Timothy 1, he often refreshed me. Yeah, I don't want to be that guy that criticizes other people. I don't want to be that guy that rips other people by what I say. I want to be that guy by what I say helps edify, helps build people up spiritually. And so this is one that God used in my life. Number five. Number five. Talk about a passage that hits us right between the eyes. Verse 31 says, Let all bitterness, all bitterness, I have that verse, I have the word no in verse 29 circled, and I have this word circled. Let all (coughs) bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. Oh, and, and all malice. Some pretty practical words there. Sometime, we're not going to take the time to do this. Study the idea of bitterness in the scriptures like Ephesians or excuse me Hebrews 12 talks about the root of bitterness bitterness is one of those things that can start really 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 little and turn huge in people's lives in fact it tells husbands not to be bitter at their wives you know bitterness I think is one of those things it's like did you ever get a stone in your shoe In the beginning, you think it's no big deal. And before you know it, it turns into Mount Everest, right? You, you have to sit down. You have to take your shoe off. I mean, it becomes a big deal. Bitterness is like that, where we hold something against somebody, and it turns into be a big deal. That's, that's bitterness. Take it away. Get rid of it. Put it off. Be intentional about that. Wrath, that deep-seated, that a convict goes to prison and comes out madder than when he went in. You see that. You, it, you, you dwell on it. Anger, it's that boiling over. That something happens, that, that road rage, that causes us to burst in anger. Clamor. Clamor. Clamoring, right? It's like getting, uh, getting the masses stirred up. Can we be really practical this morning? Is it okay? You love me, right? I'm counting on that. The first thought in my mind about that clamoring in today's culture, I'm, I'm, gauging, I'm gauging your emotions by your faces at this moment, just so you know what I'm doing. Okay? It's like social media. Did you ever read somebody's social media post where you go to your little world of friends and rail on something because you know your little real, your world of your little world of friends will agree with you. I mean, they're your friends, so we put something on social media and clamor. We try to get the masses on our side. We try to we try to get that to turn them against other people. That's that's the word. The apostle Paul says, "Put that off. Let's not clamor. That clamoring." where we use our influence to get other people against what God may be doing. The next word is uh, 
there in verse 31 is evil speaking. I don't know what translation you have. I, I, I read a lot of them uh, getting ready for this message. Some translate that term evil speaking as malice, which in English means normally like that, or, sl- or, or slander. It mean, It's slander. That's the word. It means that basically that I lie, right? Grace, I'm going to pick on you. So if I go to Peggy and say, Grace said this, and, and, and you didn't, that's slander, right? If I go in, I'm a, I'm a writer, so if I put something in print that I said, somebody said this, and it's a lie, then I could be, I mean, if it's in public, I mean, that's, that's even a crime, slander, right? It's not just that. The idea of evil speaking, and I, I read New King James, is the idea is, it's not necessarily a lie. But we go to somebody else and say negative things that may be true, but we say negative things about someone else to someone else who's not involved. That's evil speaking. Or I just don't like you, or I just want to build up myself, or I just want to have a conversation. That's evil speaking. So I say negative things about somebody. God says, put that off. Don't do that. Did you ever watch that old Bob Newhart thing about counseling? Stop it. Just stop it. Where we go to somebody else and tell them something negative about someone just to get them on our side and just to be critical of them. See, I told you this would be practical, right? With all evil speaking and those to be put away from you with malice, withholding a grudge. The opposite of that is uh, be kind. Be kind. Verse 31, or verse 32. One to another, tender hearted. You know, right? The word heart in the Bible doesn't necessarily mean my ticker. Not that. It has to do with the inward part of our being. In this culture, lots of times it was, forgive me, but it was translated bowels. It's the inner person, tender hearted from the very inner part of our being. Be tender toward people. We, we, We somehow think that that's a weakness. It's like if I'm tender, oh, that, you know, that means, that, no, I, I, God tell, that, that's like, again, be imitators of God. The very next verse talks about tender-hearted, in, inside, the very inward part of our being that we're tender-hearted, forgiving other people, not holding grudges, not talk, going to somebody else and talking about them, but forgiving one another. My goodness, there's way too much meanness in the church right and people let's be kind i'm talking to me let's be kind let's be tender-hearted let's forgive people you know why even as god in christ jesus forgave you and so you realize this is uh incredibly practical because Jesus Christ went to the cross and took our sin on the cross and forgave us of our sin right forgive us we're forgiven we're clean we're washed clean and let's let's just be kind so again these things are all incredibly practical they all in one way or another can be habitual and individual things that can end up causing problems for us and end up causing problems for the church now there's one other thing, and I'm going to be I'm going to be done. But go back to verse 30, and I have this at the very bottom of your notes where it says, "Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God." Verse 30, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And I think there is a, a an incredible balance in that passage. The word grieve means to uh, literally to make sad or to disappoint. We need to understand that the Holy Spirit is God, but he's also a person with person, emotions, intellect, and will. And that's the definition of a person. And uh, Paul was writing this, and he's writing this certainly 
in the context of speech, verse 29, the verse right before it and all of that. But I think it's possible for all of those things, those five things that we talked about in the chart, those five things, to grieve or to disappoint the Holy Spirit of God. And I think our motive as believers, Jesus Christ, I just talked with you about that, went to the cross, verse 32, talks about that, to forgive us of our sins. And I, I think that ought to be a high motivation, that we want to do the things that makes God happy. We don't want to grieve. We don't want to disappoint. We don't want to make sad the Holy Spirit. And the balance in that verse is um, you're sealed until the day of redemption. Don't forget Ephesians 1 talked about that very word sealed, guaranteed. So this is talking to believers, and it's talking to believers, people who know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And folks, if God has used his word to convict us of sin, then let's take care of that. Let's take care of that. And and, and and be right before God. And if this is here, none of those, I think next the next passage, Ephesians 5, the first few verses talk about that and talk about practices of sin. And I think the rest of this book talks about that. If we have those practices of sin in our lives and there's no conviction for the Holy Spirit, there's no conviction of the Word of God, then maybe, maybe, maybe it's because we don't know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and we need to come to Christ repentance and ask him to be our personal savior and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So this is a passage to Christians. Our seal, we're guaranteed about our salvation. But let's take care of these things before God. Let's have our motive to be that we want to please God because we're members one of another. Yeah, incredibly practical today. Let's uh, implement the winning strategy, the principle of replacement. Put off put on that we can do those things that are pleasing to God let me let me pray and we'll be done Father I thank you for your word I thank you for what you've taught us this morning a very practical passage that uh, talks about some things that God we frankly need your help with there are times our speech hurts others there are times our anger our stealing our lying our meanness hurts others. Father, forgive us of those things. Help us to be intentional. We want to get rid of those things in our lives by putting on the things that you have given us in your word, to intentionally do the things <coughs> that your word talks about that can be a part of our lives, that can honor God. Father, help us never, never, never to give any place at all to the devil in our lives. Help us to not grieve your Holy Spirit even though he has sealed us to the day of redemption, we're, we're saved, we're, re we're redeemed by the blood of Christ. And Father, thank you that you sent your son to, cro uh, to the cross that we can be forgiven. Father, we thank you for the great truth of this passage and the practical things that apply to our lives. God, use your word in our hearts and our lives. Father, I thank you for your word and thank you for how practical your word is. God, help us to apply those things in our lives for our growth, for our future, but also for eternity. Father, thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, thank you for letting me uh, share my heart and be incredibly uh, personal with you this morning. I think, um, uh, yeah, you've got a chance to see my heart and the fact that I was honest enough to tell you that uh, God had to hit me between the eyes and a few things this week and... Uh, and uh, God, I just, I just pray that God would do those things in our hearts so I, for, for His glory, right? Have a great week, and uh, thanks for coming today.